0: Welcome to Prince by Track Presents, Stevie Wonder Classics. Today, we're going to be talking about Village Ghetto Land from the album Songs in the Key of Life, released on the 28th of September, 1976. On the track, uh, it is just Stevie Wonder with his Yamaha GX-1. Cost him $60,000, so obviously he's going to use it as much as possible. Uh, the track is co-written by Stevie and... But it is 3 minutes 28 and joining me to talk about today is Erica Thompson. Hello, Erica. Hello. Obviously, you know, uh, Songs in the Key of Life covers a wide range of topics. As Stevie had kind of matured, you know, the kind of topics that he covered matured, you know, this this wasn't kind of, you know, like some of his earlier albums where it's basically 10 love songs about Rita. Um, You know, he's he's certainly broadened the topics out. And as he's gone, he's kind of had just one or two kind of like political commentary tracks um, you know, it's not like he kind of turned into like, you know, Bob Dylan or anything. Um, but, you know, along the way, he's kind of made it clear that uh, even though he himself is obviously doing quite well in life at this particular point, uh, he still kind of thinks about where he came from and, you know, the kind of issues that were affecting, uh, you know, black people within 1970s America. Um, and this is probably, I'm going I to know, I would say. Uh, out of the kind of social commentary songs that, you know, I've I've covered for this project, uh I I probably only Living for the City is probably a better kind of um picture of, you know, like kind of uh 70s America. Um, you know, this is and this kind of in a weird way, uh, I think mainly because there's no kind of beat to it and it's mostly this kind of synthesizer sound, it feels very kind of influenced by the Beatles. Um, in a weird way, uh, it feels kind of like, uh, I don't know, the opposite of something like Strawberry Fields, where, you know, John Lennon's talking about this kind of magical place, and Stevie Wonder's talking about this kind of magical place, but it's definitely not magical, um, you know, but the fact that he's kind of given it this title of, like, Village Ghetto Land... Um, you know, which kind of makes it like, he's not saying it's a specific city, obviously in living for the city, you know, they actually mentioned New York, whereas here it's kind of just more a general kind of idea of kind of like an impoverished, you know, any city basically in America. Um, And, you know, I think kind of the, the keeping it's like keeping the production of it so simple, where it's just kind of Stevie wonder and, you know, just kind of like the, the synthesizer and literally nothing else. Uh, it's one of the rare times on this album where it's just Stevie by himself because there's so many other people on this album, and this is pr- I think maybe one of only two songs where it's just Stevie and literally nobody else, uh, and it's it's the kind of simplicity of the production really lets you kind of concentrate. On the, you know, kind of the message that's being put across in the in the song.
1: There's a documentary, um, classic albums, and um, there's one on songs in the Key of Life that gives some background on this song. And um, the the guy who wrote the lyrics, and he may have changed his name, but at the time he was known as Gary Bird. And he was a radio DJ and an artist and a songwriter and a rapper and, like, just had all of these different talents. But, like, according to the documentary, um, Stevie Wonder called him and had the theme of the song, the idea of what he wanted to achieve, and also that it was going to be this classical sound. Like, I feel like it's almost a Baroque sound that he achieved with the Yamaha GX-1, which he called the Dream Machine. Um, But he, the song, I think, is just really remarkable because you have this orchestral sound that's really upbeat but it's juxtaposed with these really dark lyrics and in the documentary Stevie said I just really want it to contrast like the people at the top and the people at the bottom and like they have these parallel lives and, it, and they don't like realize the reality of the people or maybe they do realize it and they just don't care <laughs> but um, there's this alternate reality that's going on at the same time and so Gary wrote two verses in three months and then he said that Stevie called them and was like oh I want you to add another verse and can you do it in 10 minutes and so he did I mean magically he was able to come up with this the final verse which is so powerful and he said Stevie called him back in exactly 10 minutes and was like do you have the verse and he told him what the verse was um so I I just thought that I mean a that you know Stevie was able to um just share his vision with someone else and trust them to do the lyrics for him. And then that Gary in turn was able to come up with such powerful words. Um, it, it's really an incredible song.
0: The kind of the opening of, you know, would you like to go with me down my dead end streets? It's kind of like the kind of the invitation to go to this place that sounds like it's not going to be very pleasant, um, you know, is, I mean, you know, I would have the lyrics weren't Stevie's simply because they have this kind of metaphor um that obviously not that stevie wonder couldn't do metaphor but generally in his songs he seems to prefer not to do metaphor and kind of just stick to more kind of simple um you know kind of direct lyrics um and this kind of would you like to come with me to village ghetto land and it's like you know the the kind of the contrast like you say between this kind of you know beggars watch and eat their meals from garbage cans and then you know at the end of the second verse he says politicians laugh and drink drunk to all demands it's like you know uh, yeah it's like it's the kind of the imagery is so vivid and it does contrast with this kind of the beautiful sound of the Yamaha GX-1 which you know like it's so it's like such a kind of really like I don't know how to say it like it's such a really nice kind of sound and um you know the the kind of obviously Stevie previously had used the Tonto Uh, for the last three albums um, and he'd kind of abandoned that mainly because the Tonto was gigantic um, and you couldn't really move it from where it was kind of set Um, and you know he went with the Yamaha GX-1 which was still quite a big like keyboard it was like 600 pounds or all told Um, but still at least it was a bit more mobile and it meant that he could record in different locations with different musicians and he didn't have to be kind of stuck um, you know in one studio Um, But it it was, like, a big... I mean, the Tonto has a very specific sound, um, and the Yamaha GX-1, you know, obviously Stevie, like you say, called it the dream machine because it is quite a versatile... Um, keyboard you know it had three separate kind of keys it meant that he could play the kind of flourishes that he has over the top of this with the kind of string sound underneath like a kind of you know organ sound and they're both on the same instrument at the same time and he can basically play like you know three different keyboards if he wants um, which obviously you know, that's the kind of thing that Stevie Wonder could was kind of born to do was play more than one keyboard at once, um, and you know, I I know I just I I love the kind of contrast of these kind of very like kind of you know uh, specific uh, lyrics, you know. Um, but stuff like, you know, broken glasses everywhere, it's a bloody scene. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, the, like the, this isn't kind of the general subject that, you know, Stevie has covered up until this point. Even the kind of political stuff that he's done up until this point has mostly kind of been just like a gentle nudge of like things aren't great you know it'd be nice if somebody helped people um whereas here you know we've got this whole kind of you know families buying dog food starvation roams the street babies die before they're born infected by the grief like it's it's like so kind of like you know immediate and then just the kind of sentiment of now folks say that we should be glad for what we have and it's like like I, you, you could kind of understand, I, I mean, it doesn't feel like, you know, the kind of anger that Stevie has shown in some other songs, but certainly, you know, it's kind of getting a message across, um, uh, I guess, kind of in a, in a slightly different way, like kind of kind of bringing you in with this kind of gentle synthesizer sound and then hitting you with this kind of uh, these kind of very rough lyrics. Um, and you know I, I, it's just and also the, the, as always uh, I, sometimes I feel like I fail to mention this but Stevie's voice is so kind of like powerful on this track um, and you know I feel like it kind of almost goes without saying that Stevie Wonder is a great vocalist like I feel like I'm telling nobody anything new when I say that um, but sometimes like the kind of choices he makes in terms of the vocal delivery uh, in particular just the way he kind of says you know tell me would you be happy in you know village ghetto land like just the way he says that title um, I know just it's just kind of such a great kind of combination of different elements
1: yeah um, and I think um, he's a little bit, like purposely understated here in his vocal delivery and I think it's because he really wants you to listen to what he's saying and uh, you know so there aren't any like you know impressive runs as we know that Stevie can do Uh, it's just really really straightforward because the lyrics are so powerful and you know in the documentary which was made in like the late 90s so about 20 years after this album was released I mean Stevie is like you know, nothing has changed in society around the world. And again, in 2019, we still have the same problems. And one line that struck me Particularly um, is killing plagues the citizens unless they own police and if I mean if you pay attention to what's going on in the US with black communities and the police, I mean it's the same issues and it's like, you know, if black people aren't able to police their own neighborhoods, um, you know, this is what happens Um, so that's, you know, all of these lines are still like very relevant today. And, um, just that last, that third verse again, like the dog food line, like really impacted a lot of people when it came out. But, um, yeah, as you said, babies die before they're born infected by the grief. It's just like really, really powerful, um, imagery in this song. So it's a, it's just, it's a brilliant piece.
0: Like having this so early on as well, you know, you've had, uh, you know, loves in need of love today and have a talk with God. And then this is like, you know, the third track in um and it's you know this uh, this first side you know it's pretty like you know the first five songs it's a pretty strong run i mean i'd say that probably side two is a just a tiny bit stronger um but still this is like a you know this is kind of like it's kind of hard to kind of pick which side out of these four is probably the best um but this is you know this is a strong kind of you know like it's starting off with like a you know a kind of uh, a kind of a, a ballad And then kind of going into something that's kind of about spiritual stuff and then kind of coming in with the kind of political commentary. Um, And then obviously Contusion is next, which is a complete departure from uh, these opening three (laughs) songs. And then kind of finishing off with kind of almost like a little kind of nostalgia kind of trip. Uh, It just shows you how kind of diverse, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder's, you know, kind of uh, musical tastes had become. Um, you know, I think maybe one of the weaknesses of, of the first couple of albums, you know, um, uh, where I'm coming from and m- music on my mind is that maybe the kind of uh, the the ambition wasn't really there. Like everything was a little bit kind of samey, uh, whereas here it's kind of each like it's, you know, for some if this goes wrong, then this just ends up sounding like a kind of confused mess of different songs. Um, but obviously Stevie has enough confidence at this point to know that he can switch from these different subjects and each song will be. You know, have a very strong theme, but you know, still that will kind of fit in with, you know, the kind of the overall theme of the album, which is, you know, songs in the key of life. Um, You know, obviously. Uh, I mean the original title of the album was uh something like uh, like let's see life the way it is <laughs> so like it, obviously this idea of life was the broad kind of theme of the album um and I think you know three tracks in Stevie is kind of showing that he's he's not going to be afraid to tackle like completely different subjects with each song and you know kind of also the production is going to be very different on each song as well even though he's basically using the Yamaha for pretty much the entire album, (laughs) Um, you know, he's still going to have the kind of differentiation between the different tracks. Being able to kind of have other artists coming in as well means that the kind of some of the other tracks have like a very different feel in particular Mike Zembello coming in and playing guitar, like really helps this album kind of sound a lot broader than just, you know, Stevie by himself with the Tonto, which is, you know, the feel that some of the albums before this had. Um, But this song is just so kind of well-placed because it like, it basically feels like this first side is Stevie kind of laying out his agenda and being like, here are the things I'm going to talk about. And he's not going to shy away from kind of, you know, political kind of um, subjects. He's, you know, he's not just going to stick to kind of ballads and stuff, which is, you know, obviously that's what he was kind of well known for. Um, you know, at this I mean, by this point, I think people had kind of understood that he was going to cover broader topics. But, uh, you know, this album is so ambitious uh, you know that it's. I mean, it's understandable why generally it's kind of like seen as one of the best albums of the seventies, if not all time. You know, um just kind of the ambition of the different topics, and you know the fact that here he's he's not afraid to kind of you know uh, tackle this the kind of the difficult stuff, and and you know like you say contacting um, from what I understand he's now known as Imhotep.
1: Mm, um, there we go. But,
0: Yeah, that's that's the name I was struggling to pronounce, Um, you know, not afraid to contact him and say, look, give me like, you know, I need some lyrics that will kind of, you know, get to the point. And, you know, I think he kind of delivered those lyrics as well. Like I say, you know, sometimes with Stevie, the kind of his lyrical content is a bit kind of simpler and more direct. And and I think, you know, having somebody else come in and contribute the lyrics, it really kind of helps, um, you know, this song. Uh, and i would have to say of course five out of five you know, <laughs> undisputed I don't, yeah. I don't think it was ever going to be in doubt
1: yeah i would give it a five out of five as well um but and then i'll you know preparing for this podcast i was looking at some of the covers of the song and i so um uh, george michael performed a version of this live at the, um at a tribute concert for nelson mandela uh, specifically coinciding with his 70th birthday, and I know I knew that George Michael had done other Stevie Wonder covers, but I had never heard this one, and he did a great job, I mean, he just delivered it exactly like Stevie did, which I think I'm glad he did that Um, you know, just again, to keep the focus on the lyrics Um, but that But that whole (laughs) tribute concert, which reached like 600 million people, viewers who were watching it on TV, it's like I was reading a little bit about it. And it was just like a lot of things going on, trying to get artists, artists pulling out. And Stevie actually was at that tribute concert, but some of his equipment went missing. So he walked out initially and was like, I can't do it without my equipment, but he eventually came back and did it. Um, But, um, I don't know, it was interesting, this is kind of like an aside, but the other two songs George Michael performed were Sexual Healing and If You Were My Woman, which is like a version of the Gladys Knight song with like the words flipped around a little bit, and I thought those were interesting choices, but um, I think he told a reporter like he deliberately did like, you know, soul music, you know, black music for the occasion, but, um, so anyway, if you get Time to read about that Nelson Mandela tribute. I recommend it because it's like it's really wild. But um, I enjoyed George Michael's cover. I love George Michael. He's he's a terrific vocalist. Um, but yeah, we Warren G also <laughs> did a cover of this. And uh, Darren, you were saying that you like that song.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've well. Here's the thing. I mean, um, you know, I'm sure everybody of a certain age loves "Regulate" by Warren G. Uh, you know, it's a it's a great song. Um, but I, I don't know. I like I understand why he sampled it, because it obviously it's got no beat. So he puts a beat under it, which at first I always thought was a bit jarring because I don't think it needs a beat. Uh, but obviously he was using kind of like the, the main hook. Um, and then I I mean, you know, I, I I only listened to it a couple of times. But I was like, yeah, I, you know, I think this is a kind of, you know, an interesting. He only really uses like the first two lines and then he kind of adds his own. Um, you know kind of uh like wrapping to it and it kind of it, he kind of basically covers the same subjects that Stevie Wonder did but I I would say in maybe a less kind of um I don't know maybe a, a less kind of poetic way. Um, But I, you know, I still I didn't think it was like a terrible use of the sample. You know, there are there are worse uses of Stevie Wonder samples, mostly of songs from this album. I mean, this seems like the album that everybody was like taking Stevie samples from. Um, So but yeah, I I, you know, I just I I thought it was, you know, uh, an enjoyable enough song. Um, but then I, I, I really enough, like I've never really considered like my place in the East Coast versus West Coast battle of the <laughs> 90s. Um, and I would have to say, I think I, pr- I pretty much prefer the West Coast stuff to the East Coast. But, I, you know, maybe that's just my personal preference. Maybe that's just why I didn't mind Warren G. I was like this, you know, this feels like the kind of the stuff that I would kind of listened to in the 90s I, um, I hated so. his
1: version sorry <laughs> but I, I figured, will say I figured that's where we would go I in. will say I respect it because again it's just it just goes to show you that you're dealing with the same issues in society decades after you know Stevie put out this track so I'm fine with that but I will not be listening to it again
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it was like it was like 20 years almost after like the the song came out. Um, And then now it's like almost like uh, what 25 years since that song came out. So and like you say, again, the issue is kind of pretty much the same. Um, Yeah. Interestingly, uh, when George Michael did perform at that concert, he was introduced by Lenny Henry. Who did? Um, who is a comedian over here? He's a, you know, he's a comedian actually from close, from about five miles down the road from here, uh, where I live. Um, and he uh, he played, he performed on the song um, uh, Why Why Did I Love You? Is that the name of the song that Kate Bush did with Prince? Uh, Why Do I Love You? I think it is. Mm. Um, that was on Red Shoes, and and Lenny Henry did backing vocals on it. But yeah, so it's kind of weird that Lenny Henry used to do like a, some jokes about Prince in his routines and then he worked with Prince on a song by Kate Bush. Wow. And then, you know, he's there introducing George Michael at this concert for Nelson Mandela. It's kind of, Lenny Henry also did like a he had like a really good Nelson Mandela impression as well. Um, you know, he would I mean, Nelson Mandela had such a kind of distinct voice. Uh, Lenny Henry would occasionally do like Nelson Mandela impressions. But the joke about Nelson Mandela that Lenny Henry would do is he would always, you know, he would do the voice, but it would be in situations that would be inappropriate for Nelson Mandela to be talking about um and that was generally the root of the the gag because like Nelson Mandela commenting on something that he obviously would know nothing about but yeah so it's it's kind of weird that like Lenny Henry was the one introducing George Michael but i think he was there introducing a number of people that day
1: yeah um, that's but so like you the light... yeah that whole concert was kind of strange but that's very interesting i didn't know that
0: there was also uh, Fry and Laurie were on there as well. Uh, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, obviously known to Americans as Doctor House, uh, <laughs> were doing some up in the, in that concert. And uh, you know, I don't know that that that, that entire the weird thing is I do kind of remember when that ton- concert took place because uh, I think it was a couple of years after the um, Free Nelson Mandela by like the Specials was like a big um, kind of hit. Um, and I also remember um, the song uh, I Ain't Gonna Play Sun City. Being a being quite a big hit as well about the uh, the resort in South Africa where a number of people I think Shirley Bassey was one of them who did play Sun City Mm. (laughs) and for a number of years people were like not happy with Shirley Bassey over that but you you know people are gonna I mean what was Shirley Bassey doing in the eighties you know she's got to make money somehow. But, yeah, so it's funny because, like, these days, you know, people kind of, uh, I guess, know Nelson Mandela for the whole Mandela effect, which is just people not willing to admit that they forgot something um, or they misremembered something. Um, You know, like, apparently people thought that Nelson Mandela was dead when he hadn't even been released from prison yet. Mm. So Because they weren't willing to admit to themselves that they misremembered something. There's a whole thing about it um but yeah that concert is kind of crazy i do re- i do re- like i when i watched the the you know the george michael performance i was like oh i do remember this being a thing on tv and you know it kind of like being a bit of a big deal um because it was on the bbc like live for like a- the whole day because it, <laughs> it was like such a big event and i do kind of i do kind of remember it being on tv and being like oh okay yeah that's that's what that was about um and obviously it was kind of like you know the height of the anti-apartheid movement and it was it was it was kind of weird to kind of i don't know it's, it's weird to think about apartheid in any way um like just the fact that it existed within the like you know within the last kind of 40 years is kind of crazy um you know but yeah that concert's worth if you can some of the performances from that concert i remember being quite interesting so it's worth kind of i mean stevie wonder only performed i just called to say i love you so i don't feel like that's the best thing to you know look for because that's easily one of the worst songs he's ever sung <laughs> um so <laughs> well let's go to plugs uh is there anything that you wish to plug erica
1: yeah so i write about prince um at a purple day in december.com and you can also find me on twitter and instagram at miss m-i-s-s underscore e thompson
0: and you can find us for this project on twitter at stevie buddy thanks for having my guest here today okay? thank you and otherwise goodbye